Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rodden Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George, the Martin Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis. We are into, I believe this is our fourth season of Lent together. We started wow. the Lenten journey many moons ago. Wow. As, um, we were all forced back into our homes because of, of, of the pandemic. And yeah, I think we, we, we're turning four this year, which is incredible. No, I lie. Three. Three. We turned three. <laughs> uh, which is still incredible. Uh, most podcasts don't make it past their 20th episode. Um, and yeah, I don't even know. I can't even count anymore. But it's been a journey. It's still a journey. And as we start this with the first Sunday in Lent, I am joined as always by my co-host, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you today, sir? Good day to you, Lindsay. Are we doing fine um, through the grace of God, um, absorbing what's going on in the world and also what's going on in the church and what's going on in one's personal life and trying to make sense of it all uh, to, to stay as happy as one can be under. There's so much to be thankful for. Mm. And, um, yeah, and I mean, Lent, Lent is always an exciting season for me because of the, the you know, the, of the things that we are called to think about and consider in the light of our experiences in the world. So, um, you know, as a priest, I've journeyed with it for 38 years uh, in relation to con- congregations, 39 years in relation to congregations across uh, the Diocese of Cape Town and False Bay, and then also trying to see how Lent is celebrated, you know, within the Anglican Communion, listening to um, people of other faiths and, uh, you know, uh, what, what we understand the impact of not the impact for our lives, you know, um, the, this call to what somebody would call the spiritual disciplines are more focused in this period, yeah. such as fasting, prayer, <laughs> and so on, you know. So yeah, no, um, I look forward to the Lenten journey. We we're going to be using the, the first letter of Peter as a focus of reflection. Through the next couple of weeks, it is the um, commentary based on that letter mm-hmm. uh, was used by the Lambeth <laughs> Conference last year, uh, where the bishops of the Anglican Communion came together, and that was their study um, of reflection. Um, and so I'm looking forward to it. it's very interesting, um, uh, you know, what it's seeking to teach us. Yeah. We read from the second letter of Peter last week, yeah? I believe so. That's correct, yeah. Yes, yes. That now we read Peter. Peter. As long as long as it's not Paul, I'm happy. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, of course, Paul makes his he rears his ugly head today. Um, <laughs> with some, he's letter to the Romans chapter five verses twelve to nineteen. Um, I'm not going to go through it right now because we need to. Uh, actually, uh, they are new. There's a new church council. There's new wardens. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that came out of vestry in the church. Are you happy with all the the developments? 
Well, it was very challenging this year, Lindsay, because um, both the chapelry and parish vestry mm. um, went into a kind of um, phase that I've never been in before, and that is a postponement that to be called uh, because there were things that were not uh, settled, um, and so we're going. Sunday coming now, we're going to do the continuation of the parish vestry. Yeah. And um, yeah. but you know when I when I reflected on it, uh, you know it wasn't something I expected. It wasn't something that um, I was prepared for. But it's something that I'm ref- refreshingly learning from. Mm. You know mm. when things happen that you not you know, uh, um, not not ready for something that you never thought would happen. And now calling for a continuation, it's almost as if something went wrong the first, the first, yeah, the, the yeah, action. Yeah. But it's a learning curve because, um, you know, so to 2023 was quite a, a challenging um, time for me on, on that level of the church. Uh, it's almost as if, you know, things went wrong right at the beginning. Mm. Well, hopefully things get better mm-hmm. as we go ahead. But they are learning curves. I'm very pleased for those who were willing to stand. Um, you know, this is the meeting that one would really hope people would step forward and, and you know, re- realize the importance of lay leadership within the church. Yeah. Um, and that the meeting of vestries, uh, the, the congregation's meeting, it's not the priest's meeting. I mean, nothing in the church is a priest's only thing. Mm. Although, mm. although the church could be criticized for having um, a, a too, um, a become too clerical, uh, ah. the, you know, clericalism is the, was a problem in the Roman ah. church and it's a problem in, in, in most churches, you know, whatever the church has claimed, it always seems that, you know, um, the, the voice of the clergy, the presence of the clergy person is more important than the, the lay people. And I mm. really am saddened when that happens, mm. and I'm saddened when lay people allow it to happen. Yeah. Um, though we are an Episcopal church, um, we are synodically governed, which which means the people have a voice, and the people have a presence, and the people yeah. have responsibility. And I would really, really hope that um, I could help people realize, more people realize, you know, take up your place. This is your church. You are God's people. Mm. You're a covenanted people to God. And therefore, you know, don't let the clergy run away with things, uh, you know, work with them. As I f- focused on um, St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians a couple of weeks ago, where we saw how in infancy and immaturity a congregation can become divided. Yeah. Um, and the, the divisiveness among, yeah. you know, created by people can can destroy communities and destroy the witness of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. So uh, Paul went on to talk about how through maturing and then here the spiritual disciplines help us maturing in the faith, maturing in a relationship with God, we are we we are we are we are to recognize ourselves as co-workers with God and co-workers with each other. That's a 
maturing position yeah. to be in, to recognize, to be able to hold one another's hands um, together. But it's a journey, you know. Um, yeah. It's a journey. Yeah. Uh, in that in that letter of Paul, he talks about, but I, I, I'm, you're not ready for for the the spiritual meat. I have mm. to still feed you with spiritual milk. <laughs> no, uh, but but it's, there's, there's a broader kind of faith conversation. That's quite, that's quite an congregation to be had there, where um, a lot of and and I mean I'm I'm not I I promise you there is no person or name in my head right now. Um, so this this is a uh, this is a general kind of criticism. It's not pointed at anybody. I promise you, <laughs> I don't even know you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, but if, if you feel this is a, a, a personal attack on you, uh, so be it, man. Uh, but like a lot of the people who put themselves forward in in leadership positions with within a, a faith organization, um, ninety percent of the time. Uh, their their intentions are are not pure, and they governed by like this infantile relationship with faith, um, where like a conversation like we have every week, even in this the exact conversation, they would not participate in because it will just like melt their brains about like everything they believe, and like their faith will be shaken and everything. Um, so it's 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 a weird it's it's a weird situation to manage, and I do not envy you. Because like there'll there'll be people who will come and they'll be like spirit led and and uh, I, I apologize to my sister for borrowing her phrase there, which I still don't understand to be honest. I do not understand this concept of being spirit led. Uh, but but they they will now come and they will now feel this deep like vocation, like this this call to to service. Uh, but it's more to service their idea of what the faith is and not to come in and run the church like a functional business um, that is then quite synodic in its in its operation and and respects um, the the input of of the collective. Mm. You know, um, if if uh, what, what would I say? The, the past grants us reference points that mm. as we go forward we need to look back because sometimes we do lose direction and 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 so the reference point i mean why did jesus start it all if we believe that the church is the body of christ it's a body it has uh, in 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 the in the symbolism of the body you know you have various parts so so but you see there's also the level of where it is true some people find a comfort zone yeah. and they can only operate in relation to others from that comfort zone. And it's easier uh, in, in, you know, to, to make claims um, than to really um, walk the life of faith, which mm. is a, a life, as mm. we said some time ago, it does incorporate risks. Here we have, you know, what's the risk of becoming the savior of the world? Yeah. Well, a narrative, narrative of the wilderness, a temptation story. Now, you know, how many of us will, you know, if we, if we over-spiritualize stuff, 
if we make claims without allowing proper discernment to happen, um, and and just because we happen to speak out of the Bible, does that necessarily mean our claims are justifiable? Because anybody can speak from the Bible and use a text. Yeah. The you know the, yeah. uh, Jesus's opposition in the Bible are those who were religious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so and so if Jesus is the starting point, as as Bart said. Um, then, you know, when we when we reflect on that, what does it mean now? Mm. And and how how you know what is that uh, thing you sometimes do you sometimes call the WWJD thing? Isn't that the yes? What would Jesus do? Thing yeah. you know? Again, there's another way of interpreting. When we tend to over spiritualize. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we we are in one sense all spiritual beings, but you know, making you making others feel less spiritual than you is a dangerous thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, what 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 makes you think you've got more claim on God than anybody else? I I, I said something some years ago uh, when I was part of a minister's fraternal in one of another area that I lived in, and you know, we're talking about how the, we will do an ecumenical thing in the community around the celebration of Christmas. And um, I, I can't remember what preceded what I said, but it just dawned on me, you know, Christmas and the story of Christmas does not belong to the church. It's not mm. the ownership of the church, <clears throat> but it's a, church, it's a narrative into which we are drawn and we are called to live. And there are many things, many nuances in there that we've got to you know, consider from a historical perspective as well as from a faith perspective. And 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 so there were the next meeting, there were people that did not come back to the meetings. One of them accused me of having spoken out of my turn because I said Christmas doesn't belong to the church. Of course. Well, I take my I take my cue from 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 that God so loved the world, and the church is part of the world. He called people to the church, but they were part of the world, mm-hmm. and so it's not as if um, his love for the world has now been has now been uh, put towards the church, and so we isolate the love, the message of love, to our realm over against the world uh, because because when you look at our humanity in the life of the church how often does bad worldly examples appear there yeah. that we have to deal yeah. with that we have to address um, so so what so 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 my my sense would be is you know here we find in the church we should find common ground here we we try and bring all our um, differences to the center. Yeah. To seek to find unity in the God of love. Um, so that when we seek to live, even though we'll 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 live the message in, in the uniqueness of ourselves, it is not as if it is better than the other. Mm. So 
you know, I think that's what Paul was addressing. Um, and and that kind of attitude is there, and we have to seek to address it. So so what happens in my view, a lot of people therefore are afraid to to come from the periphery of the engagement into the inner circle where where more responsibility is taken, where they are, where they realize that they that they need to work with each other in leadership and in building up the vision, mission, and, and ministry of the church. Yeah. Because people yeah. get hurt in the inner circle, people get hurt. Now, the inner circle is not an inclusive, exclusive circle. Mm. In some cases, it can be treated like an inclusive mm. circle. It's never an inclusive circle. I mean, parish councils and executive meetings, there should be nothing secretive about it. If it's yeah. supposed to be part of the words yeah. of the church, um, so if anybody wants to be part of it, they should be part of it. And so I can only encourage people to realize you are, and, and it's not about position, it's about responsibility Yeah. in relation to the ministry. Yeah. You know, it's about servanthood. And we get that thing so wrong, um, Lindsay, servant leadership. Mm. Somehow mm. The, the wrong notion of power creeps in and the rough notion of position creeps in, and then it becomes a struggle. But I must say, you know, I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed having been part of vestries in other parishes, and also here at St. George's and St. And St. Mark's. Some, sometimes it was a little bit too smooth sailing, yeah. um, and, and, and sometimes just the reflect when there are issues that people need to raise, and we must listen. We need mm. to listen. Mm. Even if we may disagree with it, we need to listen in order to say, how then do we find common ground once we found the facts and the answers to it? Yeah. So really want to encourage people to, to, to say, this is your church. You are the body of Christ. Don't let certain people make it as if it's their domain. It's not their domain. Mm. It's part of the kingdom of God in the world. Yeah, I was having a conversation with with, with someone from a from another like denomination, um, and he was saying that he wanted to uh, measure the Bible against the Quran. Like he he got himself a Quran, um, so he could now see where the the overlaps are and like measure like facts and all those sorts of things and i told him i was like that is folly because like the first thing you need to understand is that both of them are uh, well the one is 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 related to the other like like the the quran is 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 quite um derivative of 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 the christian bible uh because of the oral traditions at the time and uh, all those things um and, and and i told him like um for me the worst thing is if you go down this path and you lose your faith because mm. if you are going to poke holes like they are holes <laughs> like you just haven't found them yet and i don't think if you're going to like that kind of statement shows me that this person bases their faith on fact and unfortunately <laughs> there be no facts in the bible <laughs> There be none. There's there's nothing. So if you're going to try and measure which one is more factually correct, you're going to find out that 
they all just fantastical stories that and how that affects you is 90% of the time you lose your faith. So like, why not ground your faith in something different, you know, something more like your actual relationship, your actual faith, your actual belief, and not something that can be thrust upon you and easily taken away. So like the Matthew chapter four, verses one to 11, the gospel, which is Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. You all, all know the story. I will put the full text in the podcast description. Um, I'm not going to read through it now. But the important thing there that I've, I've, I've understood now with this kind of reading and within the context of our, our conversation, um, just with like the, the, the spirit ledness and that feeling of vocation is the idea of Jesus in the wilderness has been misinterpreted. So like when people speak about their wilderness experience, when faithful people speak about the wilderness experience, it's usually a moment of turmoil in their lives um, where they're feeling a bit lost. They're feeling like in the story, <laughs> Jesus was not lost. <laughs> like he didn't stumble into the wilderness. You know? <laughs> so like to yes. base your understanding of this, uh, to frame it, with this idea that you have to go through trials and temptations and and like all this, it's an unnatural state, and it's it's a state that you have to like. Yeah, it's a, it's a choice. Well, it's said that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But like, if you believe that you serve a a a all knowing, all seeing God, like Jesus, and that Jesus was Him incarnate. Uh, Jesus knew what was going to happen. <laughs> and like in, in the responses, like the, the, the responses are all like uh, it's uh, scholastic kind of um, tension where the devil will say, it's written that like, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put your, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And like all those sorts of things. So it's a, a back and forth between two scholars. And it's, it's, a, it's a philosophical kind of tension. It's, a, it's, it's similar to, to what we have right now <laughs> that we have every, every week. Um, where it's like one person's interpretation and another person's interpretation, and it's kind of the, the the tension between those two things. And like when you start taking a more realistic kind of reading on this, it unlocks other information, which I, I or at least other guidance, which I believe is is a lot more helpful, um, and that gets buried under this this all this holiness, you know. Um, all the spiritualness where it's like Jesus was a good manager, a person manager. Um, he had great people skills. Um, just look at all the interactions with various people, how, like addressing, um, speaking truth to power, for instance, like that's a phrase that everyone likes to use, but it's like highly educated, um, has a good read of the situation, is on this revolutionary mission interfaces with like really powerful people um, with contrary um, contrarian ideas at the time um, and uses all of their training um, to package the argument um, in a way that like has solid armor 
against whatever assumptions are being made on the other side. Uh, so, like, just looking at the person and and seeing the person and the personality of a Jesus figure within the temptation in the wilderness, where it's like it's an intentional journey into the fire, you know. I I I I sort of learned to read chapter four in relation to chapter three, mm-hmm. where Jesus is baptized. Yeah. And I have shared that my and my learning and understanding of the baptism is that um Jesus in in saying to John the Baptist, let's do this so that the righteousness of God can be fulfilled. And what was the righteousness of God that could be fulfilled? And you go back to chapter one where we learn about the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew's intention of helping his audience to recognize the, you know, with Jesus' immediate family and going back to the ancestral roots. Yeah. uh, Ties his humanity down with our humanity. So in being baptized, he enters into solidarity with what it means to be human Mm. in this world. And, And part of being human in this world is the encounter with temptation um to to uh, in resisting temptation and and to say the or to give in to temptation and be caught up in the wilds of um that which could be wrongdoing and you know um that's a that's a fact a fact in the experience of humanity we are confronted with Things that, what, 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 whatever choices we make, we could end up uh, having having to do do the wrong um, if we make a bad choice. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about this. Uh, let me let me put like this here in 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 terms of 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 acquiring a position mm. in politics or in the church somehow. <clears throat> We are tempted to misuse the position and power in our favor over against somebody else. When we're in that position and power, because it becomes so liquid to be powerful over others, we don't want to let go of that power. So we are tempted to hold on to the extent we will even, you know, assassin character assassinate somebody, or we will even go ahead and take the person out. So 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 we in terms of our humanity, there is the struggle with temptation. So if Jesus truly embodied our humanity in all its aspects, uh, all its mystery, then in the experience of the of the temptation story, and here I suppose would one would say he's led by the spirit to, to encounter what temptation really is all about. Um, not because he did this by, you know, because he's he's fragile and fail, frail and mm. just gives into any 
wind and wish. It is the encounter to help us to see how it can be dealt with and overcome. Yeah. Now, number the first and a nuance is that if we truly believe that God is part of our lives, walking along, and I think we've mentioned it in the weeks prior, God doesn't just lead us on paths of smoothness, but paths of ruggedness. Uh, you know, Psalm 23 says part of his experience was going through the valley of the shadow. Now, the shepherd uh, would know what an encounter in the valley may be when it's dark and clouded. Mm. So he recalls all mm. this, recognizing that part of his life and spiritual journey has these moments in uh, in it. And, and for him, fear was the issue in that dark valley because we do feel overwhelmed and overcome by what, what you know, assumed darkness. I remembered many years ago in my ministry in the Macquarland, I had to drive through um, a farm road where I had to stop and open gates and close gates. And yeah. I was the yeah. only person on the road. And it was misty, that eeriness, you know, got to my spirit. It, Mm-hmm. <laughs> it you know, had me uh, frightened. I wanted to just like, rush and get out of it. So yes, so now um, Jesus is led to to this encounter, um, and I think because of the embrace of 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 what's his name of of our humanity, this story helps us to realize that you know we still can have God with us when we're confronted by whatever temptations there may be. And we can ask God for help to lead us so that we do not fall into that kind of a trap where our lives are going to be shifted to the negative and, you know, um, and, 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 and traumatic, uh, um, you know, uh, negative living. Like, I don't know the, one for better words at six, at seven o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and and then the the spiritual discipline of fasting. Uh, what what? How does fasting help? Not just for losing weight, but what what is the what is what does fasting mean? Why is fasting being something that was advocated in the scriptures? And I mean, it's not just in the Christian scriptures where fasting is seen as a spiritual discipline. And then, of course, is this is the is the scriptures helpful? Because in this text, he uses scripture, mm. and mm. I could only say that the recall of scripture under under certain you know in our in our daily lives. Again, again, Jesus was. Um, you know, from what I read and learn is that he was steeped in scripture from childhood. Um, it is almost by route that you learned the scripture. Yeah. In Jesus's time. Yeah. You know, um, which we did when we were at school, you had to learn poetry by heart. Um, scripture is in, 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 in one sense, Hebrew poetry, mm. an expression of faith in poetry um, and in story, narrative. And so how does scripture, is scripture a helpful 
tool to have? What comfort does it bring? How does it inspire us when the darkness comes, if I can put it like that? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, where does this whole story of temptation for how humanity would be our identity? Who are we really when we face things in our lives, when we are at the crossroads, when we in moments of darkness? Why does it feel different? Why do I feel different about me when the clouds are dark over against when the sun shines, um, when it's a good day? And, and, and when I'm not feeling like it's a good day today, you know, and so my identity, who I am, it's my, I, my identity is a continuous part of my journey. Yeah. Uh, you know, to, to understand what I'm fully meant to become through all the experiences, encounters and learnings that I do. And then I think for me as someone who takes God seriously enough to 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 embrace God as the as the central part of my faith. Um, it's it's that words that says you shall worship God. And so I find that, you know, I really am inspired by the words in terms of worship uh, from the New Zealand prayer book, which has in its introductory part, worship is the highest activity of the human soul, is how he gave expression to it. So so there's so much in the story, as you said earlier on as well. These are some of the things that I'm just saying yeah. in relation to who I am and who we are in Jesus' encounter of our humanity's embrace of our humanity is reflected in the story. So we are I learn how important then it is to follow Jesus who walked into the temptation to help me see that I don't have to be able to come to the tools and, and gives me a sense of companionship, which is what the spirit-led life would be, the, the companionship that I enjoy, that we enjoy with God. Mm. Interesting. Um, the When you juxtapose all of that against um, the temptation in the Garden of Eden, then, uh, given like the the argument that I made earlier about like Jesus was highly educated, this was a a, a conflict between two scholars, right? Uh, that 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 was the Jesus temptation. Here in the Garden of Eden, you have the exact the polar opposite, where you have, if you believe it, um, if you can believe it, uh, God created. <laughs> Adam and Eve. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. Like the, the the absurdity of 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 the of the creation story is just mad to me. Uh, it's not the absurd. It's it's a very well crafted story. It really, it truly is. Um, but but the 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 level of belief that I've discovered among people who like really really internalized that this is how everything started is is just absolutely hilarious to me um it, it's all a metaphor man this is all fantastical stories um that are, are meant to to impart certain information and we we discern that through our interpretation which uh, in in my interpretation of this story here you have 
a God that made Adam and Eve, right? He made them for selfish reasons, absolutely selfish reasons, to Adam to be his companion, um, someone he can speak to, uh, but doesn't arm them, doesn't empower them at all, keeps them in the dark. They're literally running around naked. Um, and it's like, yo, you can eat of any, eat the fruit of any tree in the garden, except the tree that gives you knowledge of what is good and what is bad. You must not eat the fruit of that tree. If you do, you will die the same day. So given what we know already of the human condition, we are curious by nature. We are curious apes. Um, and to leave that kind of thing hanging, that, that unresolved kind of tension of like, that tree you can't eat of, is going to cause problems. So, like, the way I approach it with my kids is I try and arm them with information. I try to give them the facts that I know. I try to speak the truth um, uh, that, that I know to be true. And it's, it's one of those, those weird things where you have in the story completely disenfranchised um, Eve, and now the snake comes and he's like, but you won't die. Why did he tell you not to eat? because you're going to be like him and you will know what is good and what is bad. And then obviously they eat the fruit because that is human nature. And like, it's, it's less for me a criticism on that very human nature of curiosity, which has brought us so much prosperity in this world. Uh, we would have nothing if not for our curiosity. Um, it is also the source of a lot of evil, climate change, those sorts of things, where the the, the curiosity intermingled with the greed um, uh, becomes quite a bit of a problem. But it's more a story about how we will act if we are thrust in situations that we were a not prepared for and b do not have the information to guide us through. Where Jesus. This is temptation story is like a highly educated, spirit-led individual. So he had all of the advantages um, that that Adam and Eve didn't have. And now we, like like Paul in his letter to the Romans, hates on Adam and Eve for like creating this original sin, but it was just a sin of ignorance. Um, like, what's up with that? <laughs> I think. I think the conversation of the historicity of the Bible will will be around with us time immemorial. It has Indeed. been and will be with us forever. And I, and I apologize for anybody. I've, I've, um, my question, oh, that, that's not, yeah, I, I, I hear you. Um, I, I, I always, in my own journey, I always want to, you know, um, um, one one scholar said theology is faith seeking understanding mm. now in seeking understanding mm. do, does my faith need fact and historicity in order to understand the the learning from a story for my life um, the tools of language, such as metaphor, whom you, which you so rightly say, 
um, I don't know why we're afraid to embrace that in the writing of the Bible, metaphor is used. That doesn't undermine that within the story, there are truths we can learn from. Yeah. There's voice, uh, a voice we can embrace because we believe scriptures inspired by, by God. And therefore, in, in a story which, I mean, like, for example, I tried on Wednesday night to capture people's attention when I said, I, 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 you know, the word gathering in Joel's, in Joel's writing always uh, touches me when we read it at Ash Wednesday. Gather the people and it tells you who all the people are that must be gathered. Yeah. I'm very intrigued by him saying, yeah, we've got a, a, a couple who just <clears throat> got married. <laughs> you must bring them out of their marriage chamber. You know, in relation to to saying we were just gathered around listening to what we know is going to impact our life, and that was the presentation of the budget. Um, now we do know that the story of the budget is not necessarily going to be a true story. Yeah. <laughs> we hope that is going to be a story yeah. of for us. And we will read into it whether it's fact or fiction. So we, we must skill ourselves with the understanding of how language is written and how narratives are told in order to try to get to that place. Because I think the most for edification of, of ourselves through a story, we need to understand metaphor. We need to understand the tools used by the writer. But for, for, most, for most part, we also understand the inspiration that is important for us. So, though, I mean, and, and it's very really interesting that those who fight for this being an historically perfectly told story from beginning to end become almost, in my view, arrogant because according to them, it can be proven. You, you do, we do know that in order for us to reflect on these stories, the, the role of archaeology becomes very really important if we are meant to understand certain things on a deeper level. Make a, correct, make a connection to a story in relation to the context that it possibly came from. And so context is going to be important. Archaeology, in every historical research book, there's not necessarily just fact. It, it's really about how does fact play a role in the, the way that the writer chose to write it in order to How does this story help me in my life now? What is its meaning? Because that's what my soul seeks. What is its meaning for my life? And how does learning from this story improve my life for the better? So, so you are correct. And I, I, I appreciate you saying that. The, the, the construction of the story is 
is it's really beautiful. I mean, it's 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 stories that are almost well told, and I'm fascinated that those who translated it from the original language into the into our world of English or, or Afrikaans or whatever modern language we speak, you know, it's like wow. But why is it that we need to prove the historicity? One of the the the, 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 the comparisons that I see from the Genesis story into the Matthew story is the Garden of Eden cultivated over against the wilderness. Wilderness is a garden also. Mm. Um, mm. And 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 in both experiences you have. They were central to both experiences or both stories. God of the garden and God of the wilderness. Um, and 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 so what is the is the meaning of a cultivated garden, and what is the meaning of a wilderness? So you we have a garden experience, a garden of Eden experience in our lives, and there's a garden of there's a garden of the wilderness experience in our lives, and and so. Um, does my faith always need a factual proof of a story or in seeking understanding of how I'm supposed to live my current reality in relation to everybody else in this modern world? How does, and I need to live by faith in this world. I can't just live by sight. I've got to live by faith. I've got to understand things to get to a deeper meaning. So how does these stories with the tools of language um, and history, where history is, 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 can be understood to be part of the vehicle of the use of the story, understanding of how a, a former community understood things, told a story about that, and left it for me and you to consider and for future generations to consider as a tool of help. And so for me, um, I'm, I, I love the statement that I learned some years ago per se. It's the vehicle that is used to relate the faith of a community um, and the understanding of that journey of life that they but if we're going to fight about is it historically true, I think we'll, in all essence, we're going to lose our faith. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Something that just occurred to me now um, <laughs> is that you get these two stories and the, the intertextual relationship um, through through what, what the arguments that I've made already, um, where the Garden of Eden is 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 a God that made Adam and Eve that didn't empower them with knowledge. And then the wilderness encounter is a Jesus intentionally going um, or being led by the Spirit um, to be tested or tempted, but armed with just being baptized. Um, this this <laughs> scholar level knowledge of 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 the law and the texts and all the stuff, um, and he's a lot more prepared for it. Is it not possible that God was making up for his mistake? So, like, the sin, the original sin, is not on Adam and Eve. It was a miscalculation by God 
And now, generations later, rolling with Jesus and into the wilderness is finally making up for his little mess up. And everyone's gotten it wrong up until this point. Very interesting. Um, it, it all, it, you, as you're talking, I'm very calling something that I heard my one of my lecturers when we would um, uh, and the doctrine of God before we even come to the doctrine of sin, we come to the doctrine of 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 God. And he in 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 understanding God creating man, human humanity will then falls into sin. Mm. The seeking to trying to understand that he used the word he said when god created man god took a risk to to create god to create man innocent mm. um, and and then in seeking for, and in making man to have the ability to choose the ability to listen and then to make a choice Mm-hmm. And and of course, you know, did God make man with freedom? So those are the questions that came up in the doctrine of of God, and then related to that doctrine. So now this thing called sin, you know, how how was it how was it manufactured? Is it is it really our daily experience today that we can choose to do right or to wrong in any situation? we um may find ourselves yeah i i used i used to play golf <clears throat> but, but when i mean golf yeah. it doesn't mean i eat the ball straight i there's a lot of adjustments that have to be made if i want a perfect shot that comes with much learning and training to be able to know what to do when i'm driving on the road Good things happen that angers me that wants me to do something really bad towards somebody else because of the script they gave me yeah. in driving back. There are a lot of things in this life that puts us into that situation where we must make the choice for good or for evil. And so this particular um, narrative is in, in looking, did God take this risk? knowing that man could actually not choose God. And, um, and and if that's a kind of part of the essence of the doctrine of God, that he, he took this risk. There's a story in that Jesus tells of um, an owner of a vineyard who rented it out to tenants. Mm. And then he goes away and the agreement, the contract, is to pay the rent yeah. on that property. So he created an opportunity for them. Um, and then, you know, in the contractual agreement, they were to give him the rent. They they then start, stopped, ref- they refused to pay him this rent. Now, how does he then come they back? They killed his son. Yeah, oh, you know the story. Yeah. <laughs> but before they killed the son, they first killed the servants. <laughs> and then they killed the son. So that was so, a metaphor for like the prophets and and Jesus and all, all of that well, sort of stuff. Well, there you go. So what what does that story sort of tell us about this risk God took and the, the owner took? You know, when when you rent out a house these days, 
you worry because of the past experience you've had with tenants. Mm. And and now tenants, I mean, my experience of tenants, at least the second tenant that that had my that had lived in my parents' home was was I mean, I'm not saying the man was evil. I'm just saying the choices he made, you know, frustrated me to no to no end that I had to put him out of the house. But at at the cost of, of my parents' money, mm. cost of my money, this man was irresponsible. So it was a risk to try and help somebody, and it ends up smacking you back in the face. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. that 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 from for and maybe here we have to go and relook at the doctrine of God. What is the church teaching about mm. God, and how do we draw on history? How do we draw on the scripture and on how pe- how God was taught to people, mm. you know, um, and and, um, and again here yeah, in the modern world, with with all the technological developments that are available to us, the Bible is scrutinized in a in a whole new way than yeah. it used to be, and yeah. we need to find out how to engage those voices, that those mindsets. Because the question is, is the Bible still a very important book? Why is it still the most sold book? Why is it um, important for people to journey with in terms of its the narratives and, and, and the narrative of life? For me, it's the narrative of life and faith. Mm. It's, 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 it's that book that helps me to recognize it's the journey of God in which I am with other people, uh, a companion. Um, but I always get the following wrong, or I get the following wrong sometimes pretty badly. However, this very God who calls me to be a companion with him in this journey nurtures me enough to say, I don't want you to stay where you are. I want you to pick yourself up. There's second chances, you know. I, I'll stop in order for you to catch up. I'll stop for you to pick yourself up, and I'll be there to help you to do that. Mm-hmm. So for me, this the, the 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 story of scripture, if I can put it like that, is a very important in in form formative um, narrative for my life and my faith for my daily encounters. In, in it, I have no doubt hear the voice of God, the God of antiquity, the God of the present, and the God of the future. Mm. Uh, so yes, for me, uh, and, and as I said, it's important for us to gather proper tools on how do we read a biblical story, and yeah. we shouldn't be afraid of things like metaphor. Mm. Um, so all help help me- mechanisms to help us understand the story but if we we take such a literal literalist view um, a, a view of fundamentalism that says every word is the proof that God spoke um, and we do that in, in with arrogance it doesn't help us in our witness at all mm. and I'm just happy that I get to um, demonstrate the holes that exist within it um every week with you uh, and that i think is a great place to end this 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 conversation uh we are 
always going to be having these conversations throughout Lent. I love the Lenten period because it's a it's a kind of reset um, for for Christians. Uh, I love the, the the journeys that people go through uh, every year. I love witnessing it. Um, I was brought up. I was raised in the church. Uh, so whatever my views are now, I still have an appreciation for. for I, I love seeing people in in oh. places that make them happy, and I like I like having the conversations about like the source of that happiness, um, and 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 just seeing the world through other people's eyes. Uh, as always, the the choice texts are in the podcast description along with the collect um, and maybe some interesting links. I don't know. Sometimes I've, I've I've promised things that I haven't put in there, so it's a it's a bit of a lucky packet. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, please spread the gospel of the podcast. Uh, we lost a couple of you over the, the the break period, and I am sorry for leaving you abandoned in the wilderness. Uh, but it was intentional. It was a choice. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Lindsay. Um, uh, just to just for my from my what's his name the the the. the um, Lent, as every part of of the, the Christian life, is a, is a journey of the heart. And as we engage the reading, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be. Thank you very much for tuning in.